Uh, if you have a Bible, you can open to John chapter 6. The, the, uh, the passage is also available uh, there in your bulletin. Uh, all of us know, all of us here have had that sort of experience where um, we get a taste for something and, and hunger for more of it. It, it. This can be literal or it could be figurative. Uh, I have a literal example for you. It actually involves uh, here. It, it involves something here in, in Spartanburg. So as an RUF area coordinator, Matt had mentioned I'm an RUF area coordinator. And one of the things that I do as an area coordinator is that every semester I travel to all of the campuses that I have, 17 schools in my area. Every semester I'm traveling to these schools to visit the, the campus, to visit the campus minister and staff and that kind of thing. And part of that visit is taking out a campus minister and his wife, if he's married, uh, to a meal. Uh, a meal, a good meal, a meal of their choosing. They choose the restaurant, and we go together. It's a, it's a, it's something I do to show appreciation for them. It's also something that we do to, um, uh, just to, just to kind of get a feel for how they're doing as a couple, uh, as in the ministry. Uh, anyway, well, on my visit to Wofford just about a month ago, uh, Matt and Ivy uh, took me to the Kennedy. A fairly new restaurant just down the road from here. And uh, as you would guess, I eat out a good bit. I, I'm, I'm out uh, about 90, about three months of the year. I spend a night in a hotel. So I eat out a lot in my job. And when we were done with our meal at the Kennedy, I told them in the, in the 11 months that I've traveled in 2018, this was one of the best meals, if not the best that I had had uh, in all my journeys across uh, the Southeast. <laughs> The Kennedy that night, it, it gave me a, ta- a literal taste of something that I want more of. I want to go back. I told him I want to go back. Okay? I had the literal taste of something, and I hungered for more uh, of it. Okay? I tell you this because it introduces our passage. At this point in Jesus' ministry, uh, word has gotten out about Jesus. Okay? And large crowds are now... Uh, starting to gather uh, around our Lord. In fact, at the beginning of John 6, Jesus miraculously fed well over 5,000 people with nothing but a few loaves of bread and a couple of fish. And as you might think, this attracts even a greater interest in Jesus, this, His feeding of the 5,000. Okay, this attracts greater interest in Jesus. It's much like the Kennedy, right? That this event, the Kennedy for me, it's, it's much like that for the people. They, they've gotten the taste of Jesus. This event has left them hungering for more of Jesus. And while he has withdrawn from the crowds, as we get to our text, he's withdrawn from the crowds. He's attempting to spend some alone time with his disciples. But so great is this hunger that the people have uh, for more of Jesus. They're driven to seek him. Nonetheless, he's got that that something. He's got that it factor, you might say, that has them craving for more. And it's at this point in the story that we get uh, to our text, John chapter 6. We're going to start in verse 25. This is God's word and it's our rule for faith and for life. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? 
Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on Him God the Father has set His seal. Then they said to Him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in Him whom He has sent. So they said to Him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I've come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The grass withers and the flowers fade. The word of our Lord stands forever. Let's pray. Let's ask his blessing on our time in his word. Our Father, we do thank you for uh, the truth uh, that is your word. Uh, May, as we delight and meditate upon your word now together, may we be as trees planted by streams of water. That's what the psalmist says. That's our prayer then. Make us as trees planted by streams of water. We ask this in the name of Jesus. So, having been fed miraculously, again, the people hunger for more. And in their coming and seeking out Jesus, there's this discussion uh, that begins. And from this discussion, I, I want us to ask two questions this morning. Questions that are going to form uh, our uh, outline. 
And and both of these questions are going to move us toward a conclusion. And I'm going to tell you right now what the conclusion is. This is what the whole point of the sermon is, okay? Is that uh, Jesus alone satisfies our deepest hunger. That Jesus alone satisfies our deepest hunger. Now keep in mind with a passage as long as this one. This is is long. I'm not... I'm not going to say everything that could be said about this passage. Be, just understand that over the next 30 minutes. I, I want to pare it down note to two ideas related to these two questions. And the first question is this. Why do the people seek Jesus? Why do the people seek Jesus? Our first question. Jesus answers that question. Verse 26. He says there. Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. In a miraculous way, Jesus has fed the people with bread and fish. These are the staples of their diet, bread and fish. If this was a a church potluck, you know, it would have been chicken casserole and five chicken casseroles and two, you know, uh, Two pans of dinner rolls, right? That he would have he would have used to feed five thousand people. But this was a gathering of these people. This was the staple in their day. He needed bread and fish, and he fed all of those people. And while you would think that it would be this miracle that provoked the people to follow him, according to Jesus, it's not. It's not the miracle. The people seek Jesus because he gave them bread. He fed them. Just normal bread. And that really strikes me as odd when I read this passage. Again, you'd expect that that it was the miracle that would have drawn the people. But it wasn't the miracle. According to Jesus, it was a free lunch that moved this people to seek after Him. Now, that's odd uh, until you realize something about the people. Uh, And that is that they are materialists. Now, I, when I say that, um, I don't mean that they just love worldly possessions. Like we might say someone, oh, that, that person's a materialist because they just love to, to accumulate, you know, jewelry or, or cars or, or you know, uh, uh, clothes or whatever it might be. When I say these people are materialists, what I mean is that they are people, people that believe that the physical matter is their, is their ultimate reality. It's what's most important to them. Maybe is a better way to say it. The spiritual or the supernatural, it it has a little place on their radar. It's maybe on the very outskirts of their of the uh, of their radar. Materialists, though, they believe in something that they can reach out and touch. okay, or see or taste, whatever it might be. And so they seek Jesus because of that, because of what they could touch, what they could taste. The bread, the fish, the miracle aspect of it, though, that was supernatural. There was an element of faith to it. And at that point, they just they didn't appreciate it. It wasn't on their radar. And so, again, Jesus says in verse 26, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, not because you saw the miracle, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. In other words, Jesus saying me is saying to them, you are seeking me because you're materialists at heart. You're seeking me because I filled your bellies with, you know, a broccoli chicken casserole and, and, and Mrs. Schubert's rolls. 
That's why you're pursuing me. So it was the thought of this sort of free lunch that attracts the people to Jesus. You know, you can think of them like that, like that stray cat that shows up at your doorstep, right? And, and it keeps coming back and it keeps coming back. And why does it keep coming back? It's not because, you, because it wants your company. It's because you, you gave her a, a dish of milk, right? And that's what's happening here. Now, if you doubt what Jesus says, right, that they're seeking him because he fed them, look at the questions that the people ask. They, it only clarifies this reality, it only clarifies what Jesus is saying. Look at verses, um, it was 28. Then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, then what sign do you do? that we may see and believe you. What work do you perform? You know, I read that and I want to say, okay, uh, what about feeding 5,000 people wasn't enough of a sign? Uh, You know, to do that with a few loaves of bread and fish. So between what Jesus says, you're coming to me because you ate your fill of the loaves, and between what the people say, you know, show us a sign, it's obvious that these people seek Jesus because they believe he is... They, they believe in, in the material. They believe in what they can, what they can see and touch and taste. And, and what they can see, touch, and taste at the moment is bread. He's going to give them stuff, they think. Maybe it's just more bread. Uh, maybe they see Jesus as someone who would end the Roman occupation. If you have a Bible and you went back to verse 15, you'd see that that was on their mind as well. Whatever it is, As they seek Jesus, all they see is the bread. And in the end, their materialism obscures the deeper, unseen reality that Jesus tries to communicate to himself. That he alone is going to satisfy their deepest hunger. Okay, That leads us to our second question in a moment. But before we get to that second question, I want us to realize... That we're not much different than these people. We're, we're not as much different from these people as you might think. There's a whole lot of overlap between the people in this passage and us in this room. The reason that we often seek Jesus is much the same reason that they sought Jesus. We too can be materialists, very much so, caring way more about the things that we can reach out and touch than in the, the spiritual realm. One way that we do this is, is mixing Christianity with the American dream. We believe that Jesus came to give us lives of affluence, of comfort, to fill our bellies, to give us good health, to find us a job with a big salary, to prosper our investments, to clothe us in the latest styles. To provide us cool friends in school. To put us behind the steering wheel of the right truck. To give us the perfect marriage while we live in the perfect land. Raising our perfect family in the perfect house. So we tend to believe that Jesus has come to give us lives of safety, of predictability, of comfort. And and we'll follow him as long as he helps us realize those dreams 
But if he starts messing with those dreams at all, and our lives become unpredictable or uncomfortable, it's really easy for doubt to sort of wiggle its way into our hearts, into our minds. This is why when our comfort is threatened, you know, when our retirement savings shrink, we don't make the grade in school or on the job, in those moments we question, why, why me, God? What, what have I done to deserve this? You know, if we're not as consumed with the things that we can reach out and touch, why is it that we expect our lives so often, especially in America, we expect our lives to be trouble-free? When really the, the, the scriptures teach us quite the opposite. That to share in Christ's blessings also means that we're going to share in Christ's sufferings as well. Sufferings that are meant to build faith in us of greater value than any clothes that we might wear or home that we might live in. Take away the comfort that most of us enjoy. Take away the house or our health or our personal safety or our money. And we learn something at that moment about our faith. We learn that our souls aren't as satisfied with Jesus as we might think. So again, we're not much different than these people in those moments. You know, for me personally, uh, I've been feeling this lately. I really struggle right now with uh, just a growing, growing list of friends who are sick, especially with cancer. I got an email this morning. Uh, it's just, it just devastates me to read. I had a former student. This is something, something different. I have a former student uh, that I just learned a few weeks ago lost his wife to cancer. And that struggle, this struggle that I have, and, and it makes me reevaluate, you know, what are my expectations of Jesus and what he came to, to give my friends and me. I can assure you he didn't come to insulate them or insulate me or you comfortably from the brokenness of this world. He came to satisfy in Him our deepest hunger and longing. Looking beyond this world, looking beyond the material through the eyes of faith. This leads us to our second question. Again, the first question, why do the people seek Jesus? Again, they they sought Him for material gain, for the chicken casseroles, for the white picket fence. That's why they sought Him. The second question is, why should the people seek Jesus? Why should the people seek Jesus? Answering this question is really the key to understanding this whole passage. And of course, it relates to Jesus saying those famous words, I am the bread of life. We should seek Jesus because He is the bread of life. He uses that that language in verse 35, He says it. Verse 48, he says it. Verse 51, he says it. He says, I am the living bread in, in uh, verse 51. What does that mean? What does that mean that Jesus is the bread of life? It, it means that he provides something of greater satisfaction than mere bread. Something greater than filling our bellies or our 401ks. 
He means that he offers the kind of sustenance that satisfies deep within our soul. I am the bread of life, he says in verse 35. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. He who believes in me shall never thirst. Reminds me of uh, a passage in Isaiah, maybe a familiar passage to some of you. Isaiah chapter 55, the prophet says this, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Listen to this. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? And your labor for that which does not satisfy. Listen listen diligently to me, he says. And eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me here that your soul may live. Isaiah 55. Though they use different words, the prophet and Jesus are saying the same thing. You know, why do you pursue with such energy, all of these things, all of this stuff that doesn't ultimately satisfy you. Reminds me of the words of the hymn we're going to sing in a few minutes. All my life long I had panted for a drink from some cool spring that I hoped would quench the burning of the thirst I felt within. The chorus says, Hallelujah, I have found Him, the one my soul so long has craved. Jesus satisfies all my longings through His life, and now I'm saved. Of course, this is only saying, the the words of that hymn, uh, they're only saying what Jesus says. Again, look at verse 48. They're saying what Jesus says here in verse 48 and following, where He says, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. It's for this truth that Jesus wants his people to seek him through faith. Only he can satisfy our deepest hunger, our deepest longings. To put it another way, the philosopher Blaise Pascal, he famously said once, there is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every man which cannot be filled by any created thing, but only by God the Creator made known through Jesus. Despite what we think, the God-shaped vacuum within us, it cannot be filled with the right friends or a Ford F-250 or dinner at the Kennedy. In this passage, Jesus teaches us that our souls are needy of something more than we're going to find under a Christmas tree. We should seek Him Believing that as the bread of life, only He can fill our soul's void. Only He can satisfy our deepest longings, our deepest hunger. 
Today, do you know that void? Do you know that God-shaped vacuum within you? Do you know that hunger? Are the presents that you loved five days ago, is, the, is their, their value already beginning to wear, uh, you know, wear down, wear off? I bet some of you know this hunger. You know some of this longing. Jesus says, he says, do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life, he says. Do you feel your, your soul hungering for that sort of bread? Jesus says, believe in me. I am the bread, and li- uh, bread of life. Follow me and live. In C.S. Lewis's The um, Screwtape Letters, Lewis imagines an older demon named Screwtape writing to his young demon nephew. And he's giving him advice in the demon trade. So the seasoned, grizzled veteran demon writing to the young demon, uh, the rookie, the wet behind the ears rookie. He's giving him advice in the demon trade. And in one letter, Uncle Screwtape describes to Wormwood how he used materialism to influence uh, what they call what he calls a patient, to influence a patient of his. He says this, Screwtape says this to, to Wormwood. I once had a patient, a sound atheist, who used to read in the British Museum. One day as he sat reading, I, I saw a train, in, of, uh, a train of thought in his mind beginning to go the wrong way, which we would say is the right way. I struck instantly at the part of the man which I had best under my control and suggested that it was just about time he had lunch. The enemy, which is God, presumably made the counter-suggestion that this was more important than lunch. At least, I think that must have been his line from when I said, quite, in fact, much too important to tackle at the end of a morning. The patient brightened up considerably. And by the time I added, much better come back after lunch and go into it with a fresh mind, he was already halfway to the door. Once he was in the street, the battle was won. I showed him a newsboy shouting the midday paper and a number 73 bus going past. And before he reached the bottom of the steps, I had gotten, him, I had gotten into him an unalterable conviction that whatever odd ideas might come into a man's head when he is shut up alone with his books, a healthy dose of real life was enough to show him that all that sort of thing just couldn't be true. So at the time when the atheist began to contemplate spiritual matters of great importance, Uncle Screwtape distracts him with real life, with the material, something that the patient could reach out and touch and taste. This scene that we read in in Screwtape, it's the very scene that we see here in John. The bread became so important to the people, they just couldn't see anything beyond it. Just like lunch became so important to the patient. Even though Jesus was right in front of them, even though the one who had satisfied their deepest hunger, was, he was right there to believe in. They couldn't see it. May the same not be said of you. If you're a Christian, 
if you're a Christian who struggles to sort of disown the stuff of life that just is too important to you, or if you're the non-Christian who struggles to find meaning and satisfaction, who struggles to fill that God-shaped vacuum in your heart, though you try, Either way, may you not fall into the error that is described here. Don't let what Screwtape called real life distract you. Jesus is the bread of life. He has come to feed the depths of your soul. Come and believe in Him. Follow Him and live. Let me pray as we close our time. Our God and our Heavenly Father, uh, we thank You for Your Word. Uh, We thank You, Lord, for um, this passage and just what it teaches us about what is most important. That You, Lord Jesus, are the bread of life. And how we pray that You would give us hearts of faith that could come to You, that that we could push aside the things that are just so important to us, overly important to us in this life. And instead, that we could look to You as the One that satisfies our deepest hunger. Give us such eyes of faith that we may believe that we would follow You and live. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.
Christ alone can satisfy us, indeed. Christ alone can forgive our sins, can change our hearts, can heal our wounds, can reconcile us to God and with one another. Christ alone can restore all things and renew this broken world. In short, Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough. And uh, I don't know about you, I'm, I'm so prone to become apathetic to that simple message that Jesus alone satisfies. And my tastes for Jesus can become, uh, I lose a taste for Him. And one of the primary ways in which we cultivate our taste for the goodness and grace of Jesus Christ is coming up here to the table every week. It's why we do it. The church has been doing it for a long time. Here now the words of institution of the Holy Supper of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Let's give thanks. Lord, we come to you now. We bow low. Lord, as, as we have confessed our sins to You this morning, we are so prone to wander away from You with our thoughts and our hearts, with our actions, with our words. Lord, and we need You to remind us that Christ alone forgives our sin makes us right before Your sight and satisfies our longings. Jesus, You are enough. Lord, we, in a mysterious way, we are nurtured in this faith, in this simple message that Jesus, You are enough. We're, we're ministered to in a mysterious way at the table and we ask that You would bless the cup and the bread and that You would nourish us in our faith that we might leave this place nourished to follow you in a faithful way. We pray through Christ. Amen. Now this sacrament, as we do it each week, it provides an opportunity for all of us, no matter where, whether we are a Christian or not, whether we believe or not, to ask ourselves in an honest way, where do we stand with Jesus? To reevaluate our hearts this, the, the, the previous week. Um, Coming to the table is, is a weighty thing. And because we, when we proclaim what we're doing, actually, when we come to the table, when we take these elements, Jesus says this, when you take the bread and wine, when you remember me, you're proclaiming my death until I come back. We're, we're saying something. And so if you're, if you're not prepared to come to the table, or if you don't know where you stand with Jesus, we don't want you to proclaim or to say anything that you don't believe. But if you have tasted and seen that the Lord is good through Jesus Christ, and you want more... I invite you to come to the table. Um, if you've been here at Grace, you know that we don't come to the table in any particular order. You can just come as you are ready.
The outside ring is juice, and in the middle there is wine. But brothers and sisters, Jesus loves you. The Bible tells you so. The cup tells you so. And the bread tells you so. Come and be nourished.